everybody. Great job. Uh, we're going to jump into a new series, and we've been kind of walking through the Sermon on the Mount for the last 10 or 12 weeks. We're going to take a break and jump into a couple other things between now and the beginning of the new year, and then we're going to jump back into the Sermon on the Mount and kind of do a part two of the Sermon on the Mount uh, beginning in February of next year. And we want to talk about the unforced rhythms of grace uh, over the next few weeks. And, and here's, here's what I've been thinking. Uh, Christmas time is a time that just becomes hurry and anxiety and rushing from one thing to the next. Uh, and it can be filled with just stress and anxiety and busyness and family and chaos and all of those different things. And so we want to take some time and just talk about the discipline of creating a rule of life. Uh, and the idea of a rule of life may be completely familiar to you. It may be something that you've done your entire life. It may be some kind of fresh and new idea. Uh, but we want to spend some time talking about how do we actually practice our faith. Because it's one thing for us to show up every week on Sunday morning and say, sing the songs and shake the hands and say that we believe all of these things. It's another thing for us to live this out in our everyday life. Uh, in 1948, W.H. Auden wrote the, uh, his, his poetry book, which won a Pulitzer, called The Age of Anxiety. We are now 60 years into the age of anxiety. What he said was the mid-20th century was going to be this space where we would give way to anxiety and busyness and hurry and worry. At that time, Auden was coming out of uh, World War II, where he was a bomb specialist. And what he did was he designed and came up with the places where we should bomb the German lines. And so he traveled, he participated in the war, he came home, and he started writing this prophetic work. It's honestly not that good. Uh, don't go read it. It's really long. It's a little cumbersome. Uh, but in it, he says this. He said, we would rather be ruined than changed. We would rather die in our dread than climb the cross of the moment and let our illusions die. And today, I wonder if things have improved at all when we think about the age of anxiety. I, I, I wonder if we have different stresses, because I don't know what it feels like to live in a world war. I've never been alive when there's been a draft Right, my son's 19 years old. I can't imagine the stress and the anxiety of our sons being drafted. I can't imagine the stress of that. But in our world now, there are all kinds of stressors. And over the last two years, we've walked through probably one of the most stressful seasons, at least of my lifetime, where there's been political tension, there's been racial tension, there's been a global health crisis, and then there's been the relational fallout from all of the other three things. There's been this idea of we've got to climb the ladder and we've got to achieve and we've got to succeed and we've got to make our mark on the world. The pace that we operate in is not sustainable, but we keep running and running and running and we even do it so much that we invite our kids into it and our kids are more stressed and anxious than they've ever been because we run them from practice to practice to training to training and we expect such high achievement of all of them that our children are stressed. There's this desire to keep up with the Joneses. The amount of news that we receive on any given day is more bad news than any human should ever absorb. Our socials give us bad news. 
Our news gives us bad news. And over the last year and a half, there's been an enormous increase in people seeking mental health help, which is a really good thing. Studies have shown that the pandemic has amplified every risk factor associated with mental health challenges, including suicide. These risk factors include job loss, economic loss, trauma, relationship loss, mental health disorders, and barriers to accessing simple health care. Around 50% of the people who participated in the World Economic Forum survey said that the pandemic has declined or made worse their own mental health. That over the last two years, 50% of our country is saying, it's harder for me to figure out self-care. It's harder for me to figure out how to do these things. One thing that's good and positive out of this is there's more people that are seeking help. Uh, we work with uh, a, a mental health provider here at the church, which is very good and does a lot of good work. And, and, and I'm referring more and more people to them, and they're able to help more and more people. In fact, in our location is one of the busiest in all of Cobb County. There's a lot of good things happening. And I want you to know this from the start. Just because you love Jesus does not mean you shouldn't see a therapist. Like mental health has a stigma around it that we need to knock away in the church. Uh, taking care of our mental health is a priority and should be a priority for every church, for every believer, for every pastor, for every Christian. I've seen a therapist many times in my life. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the work that I've done. I'm proud of the work I've done in my own heart and in my own life. I'm proud of the work I've done in my family. I'm proud of the work I've done in my marriage. Sometimes you need somebody to sit across from you and talk to you. And sometimes you need to slow down and actually create space to think about your own heart and your own life and your own care and your own journey. And so we want to create some space for some of these things to happen. Uh, I, I want to look at what would Jesus say to our age of anxiety. If we're 60 years into the age of anxiety, and, and, and then I want to understand how would Jesus speak in to this moment. And I want to open up some space for us as a congregation to talk about self-care. I want to open up a space for us to talk about are we resting or are we running at a pace that's unsustainable? Are we actually present with our families, or are we so distracted that we can't be with them? Are we hurting so much that our wounds are being transmitted instead of being transformed? Are we living in such a way that we're opening up space for Jesus to speak to our anxiety, our hurry, our worry, our discipline, our rest, our self-care, and our discipleship? But most of all, I want to give us some tools to practice some better rhythms. Uh, there is this belief sometimes that our life just happens to us, that it's out of our control, that we're just, uh, uh, the, the slide is out front because it's left over from last night, and some of the junior hires wanted to go down the slide this morning, and so Meredith, who always is up for a good time, just inflated that thing and said, let's go. Uh, sometimes we feel like our life is like those, those inflatables. Like once we jump, it just, we go and we can't control where it's going and it's all moving so fast and it feels so difficult to grab control over it or take uh, advantage of it or, 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 or learn to walk in peace or walk in a different way. And so I, I, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that there are spiritual habits that we can practice that give us rest, that renew our souls 
that remind us of who we are and who God is and can bring us back to a place of these unforced rhythms of grace. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Eugene Peterson wrote in the message, and I don't often use the message, but this verse, my favorite version of it, is Eugene's version from the message. Uh, and uh, we, we oftentimes, as a staff, will practice this exercise. It's called Lectio Divina. And it's just kind of this exercise of receiving Scripture. And we'll, we, we don't have time to do all of it today, but I want to practice this a little bit just with this passage. Because what Lectio does is it teaches us to receive the passage. Uh, and allows us to not just kind of read it, because sometimes even as I read something or as even as I'm talking about something, we're taking it in, but we're not taking it all in. We're receiving some of it, but we're not receiving all of it. And, and sometimes it's just passing. Things are just passing by us, and our brain's functioning a million miles an hour, and we're making a million different decisions, and your stomach just growled, and you're trying to figure out lunch, and you're a little chilly, and you're trying to figure out how it got so cold, and why you didn't wear a jacket today, and there's all these things going on in your mind, and you're trying to figure out all these things, and we miss things. And so Lectio allows us to do this, to look at the text, take a deep breath, and receive what the Lord wants for us. Dallas Willard says, every time you read scripture, or every time you hear a sermon, we need to pay attention to what shines or shimmers. You pay attention to what stands out for me. Because what's amazing to me is I'll preach every single week and there's a line of people to come and talk to me after the sermon. And I'm always amazed that every person that talks to me says something different stood out to them. We could read a chapter of the Psalms together right now and every person in the room may have a different thing that shined or shimmered to you or stood out to you. And so what Willard says is when you're reading scripture, what you do is you pay attention to what shines or shimmers. You start asking the question, why? Lord, why did that piece of that scripture stand out to me? Why, when I listened to that sermon, did that one story stand out to me? Why did that one part of the text, why did that one phrase, why did that one quote, why did that one thing resonate in my heart and in my soul? Willard says, you ask Jesus, why? We just start to ask the question, why? And what's funny, what's amazing when we do this and when we practice this and when we learn to practice this is sometimes I don't know the answer until later in the day. All right, sometimes I'll be practicing this at home. I'll be reading a scripture and I'll be going over it over and over again and something stands out to me. I'm like, Lord, why did that stand out to me? That doesn't make any sense. That's not relevant to anything in my life right now. And then somebody will call me later in the day and say, hey, pastor, I wanna talk to you about something and, and it's that verse. It's that thing that stood out to me. So we start to learn the habit of just saying, why, Lord, and paying attention and asking the question, all right, Lord, what do you want me to see here? Because we believe scripture is full of timeless truths, truths that last from generation to generation to generation, that have lasted over the centuries, but I also believe that scripture is full of timely truths that matter for us today. There is the spoken word of God, there is the written word of God, and then there is the whispered word of God, the rima of the, of the Holy Spirit that speaks to us over and over again, and we wanna learn to pay attention to both. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna read this scripture, then we're gonna read it together. And then I'm gonna ask everybody to close your eyes and I'm asking you to hold your hands out like this. I know it's weird, but I want you to receive something from the Lord and I'm gonna read it again. 
And as we're doing this, we're just reading it three times. You can do it. I believe in you, right? It's a small verse, right? As you're doing this, I want you just to pay attention to what shines or shimmers, what stands out to you. What does the Lord bring your attention to? And I want you to ask the question, why? All right, I'll read it first. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's read that together. Can we read it together? Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. All right, everybody close your eyes. Hold out your hands in a posture to receive from Jesus. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Here's what I want to ask. You can just shout it out. What stood out to you? What shined or shimmered in this verse to you? Somebody shout out some things. Ill-fitting, lightly, real life, real rest. Watch how I do it. Unforced, get away with me. Isn't that beautiful? I love it, right? God is speaking through his word over and over and over again. And think about how powerful those phrases are. There is an unforced rhythm of grace. There is real rest. Get away with me. Live free in light. This is all an invitation from Jesus into a new life. We've been talking about the way of Jesus. This is a way of Jesus. Jesus is inviting us into a new way. He's inviting us to step off the hamster wheel that is running and anxious and worried and frantic and asking us to get away with him into a new life, into a new world to experience the unforced rhythms of grace. The issue is not that Jesus isn't inviting us to rest. The issue is that we don't want to. And so the question becomes, will we step into this? Dallas Willard, I already talked about him today, but he's one of my favorite theologians. He's an amazing writer. I've read everything that he's written. If there's anybody that has discipled me from a distance, it's Dallas Willard. He passed away a few years back, and I was devastated by it. Um, brilliant, brilliant writer. I'm praying that Jesus is raising up the next Dallas Willard right now. I'm, I'm very serious. The church needs Eugene Petersons and Dallas Willards and, and thinkers and dreamers and people who think beyond just growing a big church but think about spiritual formation and spiritual practices and theology and discipleship, all of those kinds of things. Uh, he was invited to speak at John Ortberg's church out in California. John Ortberg is a 
pastor that has a big following. He's an author. He's got a big giant church. And Ortberg invited Willard to come and do a weekend with him. Uh, the videos are available online of all that stuff. I've watched them like nine times because I'm a nerd. Uh, but it's amazing, and, and Ortberg was pastoring this large church at the time. He was feeling the stress and anxiety of pastoring a large church. He couldn't figure out all of these kinds of things, and he was feeling unhealthy spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. He just felt thin. He felt drained. He felt tired, and so before the conference started, he sat down with Dallas, and he just had dinner with him, and he said, he described the whole situation, went into great detail with him, and said, now what do I need to do, Dallas? Dallas Willard looked at him and said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And Ortberg looked back and said, okay, what else? And he said, there's nothing else. Willard said this, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, take care. Keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. If we don't diligently seek him, if we don't take care, we're going to lose something. It's as if we forget something. I love that phrase in Deuteronomy. We forget. We forget who we are. We forget whose we are. We forget our task. We forget our purpose. We forget our mission. And we get so wrapped up in hurry and worry that we miss all of the things that matter. The early church had different types of movements, but one of those movements was a monastic movement. It was kind of a retreating from the church and from the world and this belief that I have to run to the desert, that in the desert is where I'm going to find Jesus. And so if I'm going to find Jesus, if I'm going to practice the way of Jesus, if I'm gonna live in the unforced rhythms of grace, the only way for me to do that is to retreat. And so tons of people ran to this kind of monastic movement. People still do it today. It's not as popular, but there's still people that do it today. And there's something wonderful about it. I've spent time in monasteries and I've spent time in those places. And, and it's pretty incredible because you, you wake up and you pray. And then you work a little bit and then you pray. And then you eat and you pray. And then you sing some worship songs and then you pray. And then you work again and then you pray. And then you eat and then you pray. And then you worship, and then you pray, and then you pray, and then you go to bed, and you wake up, and you do the whole thing over and over again. And every time I'm at these places, it feels like this amazing retreat from my life and from my world, but I realize the only thing that they're doing is praying, right? There's not something special that's happening in the monastery. The issue is they've realized the rhythms and the practices of life. They're not forgetting it. They're taking care. They're caring for their soul diligently. They have practices so that they'll forget who they are and whose they are. And the good news for all of us is we don't have to retreat from our lives to find Jesus. We don't have to run away. You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to move to a new city. You don't have to go anywhere but you do have to take control of your life. You do have to get off the slide that says, I can't manage all of this, it's all moving too fast, and you have to take control of it. My, one of my mentors told me when I was just starting in ministry, he said, take control of your calendar because if you don't, somebody else will. And so one of the practices that I put in as a pastor in my ministry from the time that I was 20 years old until now is I have on my calendar times of prayer. 
I have on my calendar times of prep for my sermons, to, to study, to be in the word. And those are times that just like any other appointment cannot be interrupted. People get irritated because they can't find meetings with me. One of the reasons why is because I put time in my calendar to pray and to study and to prepare for the work that God's doing in our church so that I can lead well. And so we create these spaces, we create these rhythms, and we decide. I, I, I speak to so many people who are just like, I'm so tired. I'm so worn out. And I say, well, why don't you rest? Well, I can't. Yes, you can. We all have the same amount of hours in a day. We all have this gift of limits that we've received from the Father. And as Americans, we don't wanna receive our gift of limits. We don't see it as a gift at all, actually. We wanna be limitless. We wanna continue to create and to build. And we, don't, we, want, we, we, we wanna resist the impulse that we ever stop creating. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, the, 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 the law, the law that came down from God, one of them is rest. It's sitting right next to murder. And we don't want to practice it. Because God, in his infinite wisdom, knew the makeup of humans. And he knew that we would try and be like him in every single way and create and create and create and create and create and create and create. I've had to learn to take some Sabbath in my life. I've had to learn to shut down the phone in my life. I've had to learn that there are days when I'm not allowed to check emails in my life. I've had to learn this. I need to resist the impulse to create and to build and to rule the world, and I need to trust that Jesus is on his throne and that he's in charge. One of the greatest gifts I've learned as a pastor is that at the end of the week, I say to Jesus, I didn't get all this done, God, but I trust that you're working. I did the best I could this week, right? I was diligent, I was faithful, I worked hard, I did the work that you've called me to, but there's people that didn't get a call from me that wanted a call from me. There's people that wanted an appointment with me that didn't get an appointment with me. There's things that didn't happen that wanted to happen. All of these things happen in the world and I trust that you're good, that you're in control, that you're working, and I'm gonna resist the impulse to keep creating and I'm gonna trust that you're working and that you're good. That's what Sabbath is. It's trusting in him. I just finished a book, it's a novel, it's called The Midnight Library. Uh, it's the best book I've read in 10 years. Anybody that's interested in fiction, I highly, highly recommend it. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. The author's a guy named Matt Haig, uh, and the story is about regrets and choices. The whole story, I don't wanna give it away because I, I, so I, I, I've gotten in trouble for spoilers in sermons before. Um, but but, I, but it, the, the whole story is about us looking back on our life and feeling regrets over choices that we didn't make. And it's this kind of idea that every choice is holy, that every moment matters, that every moment is filled with possibility. And in this, there's a quote, the lead character says this, she says, it's easy to mourn the lives we aren't living. It's easy to wish we developed other talents and said yes to different authors, offers. It's easy to wish we'd worked harder, loved better, handled our finances more astutely, been more popular, stayed in that band, gone to Australia, said yes to coffee and done more yoga. It takes no effort to miss the friends that we didn't make and the work we didn't do and the people we didn't marry and the children we didn't have. 
It's not difficult to see yourself through the lens of other people and to wish you were all the different kaleidoscope versions of yourself that they want you to be. It's easy to regret and to keep regretting for infinity until our time runs out. Sometimes I wonder if we just live in this space of we're caught on a hamster wheel and we just live in regret. And I think Jesus' invitation is come to me. Learn from me. There's a better way. We can figure this out together. We can control it. There's a different way. Let me teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. And so way, way, way back in church history, a monastic guy named Benedict wrote a rule of life. It's just a simple kind of practice for how you're supposed to live in a monastery. It's really brilliant. It's really amazing. Anything that has lasted the test of time and people are still reading after 1,500 years, we should pay attention to. It's brilliant. And he, he talks about this kind of idea of a rule of life. Rule, the word rule there is regula. That word means guide. It's a guide. And so when we think about a rule of life, it's really difficult because sometimes we can get really deeply embedded in kind of law and rule and regulations, and, and, and we create rules that actually hurt us, right? We create rhythms of life that actually aren't freeing and giving us life. They're actually creating more death. And so when we talk about a rule of life, what we're talking about is a trellis. Right, so the vine is growing up all around us. What we want is we want a trellis. Jesus is moving and working in our lives all around us. God is speaking to us. There are words given to us. There's study. There's things that are happening in our life. There's people that we're supposed to love. There's people that we're supposed to care for. There's self-care that we're supposed to be practicing. All of these things are coming at us a million miles per hour. And what we need is we need a guidepost. Think about a rule of life almost as the rail on the stairs. It helps me climb the stairs. It helps me get to the place that I wanna go. But here's what we do oftentimes is we make our rule the actual stairs, right? So the guidepost is worthless if the stairs aren't there because that's really difficult. You're just like trying to climb a rail with no stairs. If, if the back row back there, if we took those stairs away and there was just that post leading up to the balcony, there would be many of us that could not get up there Right? It would be troublesome. But there's also the challenge of if we don't have the guidepost, if we don't have the trellis, if we don't have something to hold everything together, then what happens is we, we stumble, we get off track, we don't make it to the place we want to go. So think about what a trellis does for a vine. It supports it. It provides structure. Without a trellis, a vine will stop growing, it will begin to wither, and it will eventually die, or it will grow so out of control that we can't even keep track of it, and so we don't know where the fruit comes and where the, the different things come. So we've got one of these little trellises in our backyard, and we've got a rose bush that's kind of wrapped around it, and it's beautiful because when it blooms, there's all these roses in the right spot. But without it, I've just got, I've just got like weeds growing in this. I don't know the difference between the weeds and the vine. I don't know what's a rose and what's a, I, I'm an idiot when it comes to anything with my yard. I just, weeds grow in my yard, a lot of them. And I don't know what to cut down and what to keep. And so this thing kind of holds it all together. And Jesus is inviting us to that space. In John 15, four through five, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. 
Neither can you, unless you abide in me, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Man, I wish that said something else. Every time I read that, I wish it said, apart from me, you would be a little less effective. Apart from me, you would move from an A to a B minus. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I wonder how many of us are running and running and running in our life, and we're wondering why we're not experiencing fruit, why we're not experiencing breakthrough, why we're not living the life that looks like we've been promised according to Scripture, because we're doing it all apart from him. Pete Scazzaro defines a rule of life this way. He says, a rule of life, very simply, is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything that I do. And my fear for the American church is that we've fallen in love with education without formation. I feel like we've fallen in love with learning without practicing. I feel like we love to gather information, we love to learn, but we wanna do that without participating in the life that Jesus has actually invited us into. We wanna, do, we wanna worry about education, which is what we know, but Jesus is always moving us to formation, which is what we practice. So there's a couple of real simple moves that I think we need to make, and that I'm hoping and praying for us as a church that we can make in this next season. The first is moving from being scattered to intentional. Our schedule is often full, but it doesn't reflect our priorities, especially our spiritual priorities. So our schedule is full of all of these things. We've got giant to-do lists of all these things that don't reflect our actual priorities, and so we've got this scattered way of living. We're just running from place to place. We're hoping good things happen to us, but we're not intentional about the way that we live. Uh, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned is there's a huge difference between practices and intentions. I've said this to you guys a billion times as a pastor. Right? As Christians, I really believe this. 99% of the Christians I meet, maybe 95, let's go a little lower. 95% of the Christians I meet have great intentions. They're good people. They wanna follow Jesus. They wanna love their neighbor. They wanna do good things. They wanna be generous. They wanna be kind. They wanna live on mission. They wanna make disciples. They wanna do all of those things. They have great intentions. The problem is we have terrible practices. I don't ever meet Christians who are like, that love your neighbor is yourself thing. I don't agree with that. I've never had in my 25 years of preaching somebody come to me and say, I don't wanna love my neighbor. We all wanna love our neighbors, right? None of us have practices of how to love our neighbors. We don't have rhythms of loving our neighbors. We all wanna be generous. We just don't have practices of generosity. We all wanna make disciples. We just don't have disciple-making uh, uh, rhythms and, and practices in our life. We all wanna live on mission. We wanna bless and serve people around us. We don't have practices that allow us to bless and serve those around us. Uh, the second thing is I want us to move from being hurried to being present. Uh, we're busier than we want to be, but we don't know how to make that change. Uh, my kids, when they were little, taught me so much about presence. Those of you who have little kids, you've got a little guide in your life that is teaching you every single day to be present. 
Because I would come home from work and I would be exhausted and my child would want me to push a train on a floor. There is nothing in my life that makes my life better by pushing a train on a floor. I don't make more money doing that. I don't get ahead. I don't accomplish anything. I learn the name of all of Thomas and his friends, right? I know, uh, to this day, I still, I, I'll see, I'll be like, that's a cranky, right? I, I remember all of those things. My kids are grown. They don't pay attention to those things anymore. I know all of those things. You sit down on a floor, you put your phone away, and you push a train around on the floor for a half hour, and that'll teach you what presence is really like. I think one of the hardest things for us to do right now, and I'll just say this, I think one of the most generous things that we can do right now is to just be present for each other. And we're not good at it. I'm not good at it. I want to grow in it. I just want to be present with the people that I'm with. There's so many times where I'm running from one place to another and I'm sprinting from this meeting to this meeting. And one of the things I've started to practice is before I enter into any meeting, before I enter into any lunch meeting, before I enter into anything, I just say a quick word of prayer in, the, in that moment right before I enter in and I just say, Jesus, will you help me to be present? Because I wanna be with the person that I'm with in that moment and not in the meeting that I was just in, right? Because what happens for all of us is we can get an email at 9 a.m., and the rest of the day, we're in that email all day, but we're not actually with any of the people that we're with, which is a bad business practice. It's not very kind, and it's also terrible for us as fathers, as mothers, as wives, and as husbands. Because the worst thing about my life is that the people who experience my lack of presence the most are the people that I love the most. The people that I care about the most sometimes get the least of me because I'm not present and I'm not with them. I want us to move from being reactive to proactive. Moving from that space of saying, I'm not in charge, I'm always responding to demands, I'm controlled by others' agendas, and lastly, I want us to move from being exhausted to being rested. Rather than ending each day weary and tired and discouraged, what if we could experience real rest? John Mark Comer said this, he said, hurry and love are incompatible. If I think about the worst moments of my life, they all have some measure of I was in too much of a hurry to do the right thing. I think of me at my worst, all of those moments are about me being in such a hurry. Paul's famous chapter in 1 Corinthians says, love is patient where it starts. The book of love, <laughs> right? The book that is about love, the definitive answer about love starts with this. Love is patient. It's slow. It's not in a hurry. It's, 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 it's there. Uh, and, and, and what we drew so often is we run from thing to thing and we miss out on being actually Present. And so we're going to introduce this series. We're going to walk through these things over the coming weeks. And, and I want you to understand this. The goal for this series is not perfection. I need some of you to hear that. Type A people who are already like, I've got a plan. I've got 14 things I'm going to initiate tomorrow morning. 
so that I can rest. I've got a, I've got, you're gonna have a spreadsheet by Tuesday that has all of this on it so that you can start checking it off. I need you to understand our goal is progress and not perfection. And over the next few weeks, we're gonna roll out a tool that helps us walk through this. It's just really simply a rule of life. And we're gonna talk about how are you resting? We're gonna talk about how are you relationally present to the people around you? We're gonna talk about how are you living on mission and blessing and serving those around you? And we're gonna talk about how are you making disciples? And in all of those things, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. Thomas Merton in his book, Thoughts of Solitude, said this, I believe that the desire to please God does in fact please him. I love that. That those intentions, right, that I just criticized, we have good intentions. I love it when uh, God says to David, you did well to have that in your heart. I feel like that's the posture. Because we wanted, it's good. And so for many of us, my hope is that this series stirs us to just a desire. I want to experience the unforced rhythms of grace. I want to lay down my daily life so that I can practice the presence of Jesus. I want to be with you. I want to be more generous. I want to be more kind. I want to be more present. I want to live on mission. I want to make disciples. All of those kinds of things. It feels like discipleship begins with this transformation of our wants and our desires. And so the goal is progress and not perfection. I feel like this whole message is a teaser because I'm not giving you a lot. But here's what I can say. I'm really excited about this. And there's one time a year, every year, where we invite the whole church into a whole journey. And this is that time of year. And so we've got some resources for you that I wanna really encourage you. The first is a book by John Mark Comer. I quoted him today. Uh, it's a really easy read. So look, I'll, I'll just show you a page. It's, he, it looks bigger than what it is, right? He writes in like small paragraphs. Um, but it's a brilliant book. The foreword's by John Ortberg, who I talked about today, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, I, I don't know if you've read this before, but it's one of my favorite books that I've read in the last couple of years. It's a really simple read, and it really helped me start thinking about the rhythms of my own life. And we've got about 20 copies of those at the Welcome Center right there, and we're gonna order more each week if you guys keep wanting them. So whoever wants them, we'll order them. The second thing is a resource that Allie and I created, uh, and this is just a journal. Um, this is the first resource that we created with my new company that is training entrepreneurs and pastors, uh, and I'm really excited about it, and it's just a Kingdom Dreams journal. It's spiritual practices for dreamers and doers, uh, and it just simply has space every day for you to journal. It has space for you to write, this is my to-do list. This is the one thing that I need to accomplish today. It's got space for you to write, this is the text that I've read, or this is the things that I'm thankful for. Um, I love journals. And I nerd out on journals, and I've got stacks and stacks of them from way back when I was in my teens. Um, but I've always hated the fact that I have to have a journal that is like a to-do list, that's like a work journal, and then a spiritual journal. And so we tried to create one that did both together. Uh, I don't know if it's good, but we've got them out there. And if you want some, you can purchase them. They're out there, and we would be happy for you to test them out and tell me they're good or these stink. Uh, either way. Um, but we do want to invite everybody into this journey. And so here's my invitation today. 
I believe there are unforced rhythms of grace that are available to you. I believe that there are practices that if you initiated them in your life, they would be transformative. And I believe that there's fruit that's available to all of us. But it's going to take discipline. And it's going to take some work. And it's going to take some imagination and some thinking and some dreaming and some practice. And so I just want to invite our church to say, we've been studying the way of Jesus for a long time. Let's take four weeks and let's work on practicing that. Does that make sense? Let's not just talk about it. But let's talk about how do we live this out as a church. Uh, I've been praying for fruit for us. I've been praying for kingdom breakthrough for us. And the one thing that I realize over and over and over again is that the power of the kingdom of God is always in the pews. It will never come from something that I do. It will always become from the people that we become. And so if we're going to change this community for the good of God, if we're going to awaken kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep, if we're going to transform this high school down the street, we're going to see breakthrough in our children's ministry and our, our student ministry. If we want to see these baptismals full of every week, let's just keep seeing salvations. If we want to see marriages restored, if we want to see freedom from sin, if we want to see salvation and breakthrough, all of those kinds of things, then it's going to come out of the presence of God. We sort out everything in his presence. So I've talked too long already. I'm going to pray. I'm going to have the band come back up and, and lead us. We're, we're going to take communion together, and, and uh, there's stations kind of all throughout the room for you to grab the juice and the bread together. And then our prayer team is going to come up front today. And, and here's what I want to ask. As the prayer team is up front, uh, if you just want to say, hey, I'm in on this, but this is a little scary, and I think this is going to be hard, and I actually want a prayer that the Lord would use these four or five weeks in my life to bring a breakthrough. It's kind of just staying, staying and saying out loud, I want a breakthrough in my life. I want kingdom transformation in my life. I am running at a pace that I can't sustain. I'm anxious, I'm worried, I'm hurried. All of those things, that's me, and I don't want that life anymore. If that's you, I just wanna invite you to come up and pray. Uh, and we're gonna have our prayer team line up up here, and I hope, there are, I hope all of you come up and get prayed for. We may need more prayer team up here. I'm praying for more prayer team so because there's so many prayers that we gotta keep praying, all right? So let me pray for that. Lord, we want breakthrough. We want you. And we hope that you're pleased by our desire to want you. And we don't wanna just learn about your way. We just don't wanna be educated in your way. We wanna be formed in your way. And we wanna practice your way. And we wanna learn to walk in you. We wanna experience the unforced rhythms of grace. And so we hear your invitation today. And as your children, your sons, and daughters, we respond. And we always respond as a church with yes and amen to everything that you've asked and invited us to. And so, Lord, yes and amen to a life that is not so hurried. Yes and amen to a loss of anxiety and stress. Yes and amen to us resting and caring for our own souls and our own hearts. Yes and amen to discipleship and mission. Yes and amen for us loving and being present to the people that matter the most to us.
And so right now, at the beginning of this journey, Jesus, we just ask you to lead us and to guide us and to transform us along the way. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. And all God's people said,